before I read the passage, I just want to give a short introduction to it. Verse 21 begins with the apostles evangelizing at daybreak. They had been arrested for preaching the gospel. They went to jail. An angel let them out of jail. And the angel told them, go right back to the temple and continue preaching. Verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. In the middle of our passage, in verses 28 through 32, we find the apostles evangelizing. They were called back to the religious leaders. Uh, They were rearrested, called in to give account for their preaching when they were strictly ordered not to preach. And they're giving an account to the religious leaders. What they begin doing is that which they have been told strictly that they may not do. So they began preaching even to the religious leaders. And guess what the apostles were doing when we come to the end of the passage that we're going to look at this morning, verses 41 and 42. Verses 41 and 42. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching, Jesus is the Christ. So at the beginning of this passage, they were preaching Christ. In the middle of this passage, they were preaching Christ. When we come to the end, they were preaching Christ. They were relentless in their evangelism. Let's read the passage now as a whole. And for those of you who are visiting, um, we are working our way through the book of Acts, uh, one passage at a time. We do believe that the Bible is the inspired, the inerrant, and the authoritative word of the true and living God. So please give your attention to God's Word. Chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. And when they had heard this, and that being the words from the angel, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and are teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet you here, or yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days... Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and also the preaching of your word in order that we might be a congregation that grows to be relentless in evangelism. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, this was a tremendous time to be a part of the church. These things we're reading about here. Uh, Last week we saw that the apostles were doing many signs and wonders. That the uh, people from all over, even outside of Jerusalem, were bringing in the sick. And they were laying them on the side of the road. So that if by chance Peter might walk by, his shadow might fall upon them and they might be healed. Peter and all the apostles were continually in the temple and out in the streets proclaiming Christ. And while this is happening outside the church, inside the church, the church is enjoying unparalleled fellowshipping. They were worshipping together continually. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were so committed to each other that they were even selling their property to give to those who had needs within the congregation. And the religious leaders... Literally here in the text it calls it the council, but it was the Sanhedrin. These religious leaders and the chief priests, they are all upset. They cannot stand it. And in fact, verse 17 says that they were filled with jealousy. And that's the reason they had the apostles arrested. But of course, as we've already noted, the angel let them out of jail and they went right back into the temple and began preaching. And they didn't go dragging their feet. They went willingly. They went joyfully. Even though they knew that this angel, in letting them out and telling them to go back into the temple, that what was happening was the ante was being upped. That if they were arrested this time, something surely um, worse would await them. 
they went because they knew that the prerequisite for uh, for relentless evangelism is being willing to suffer for the gospel. That's what we have here in verses uh, 21 through 28. Um, they went willingly. They were ready. They were even eager to suffer. Our Lord Jesus had taught them, Blessed are you when men persecute you persecute you and say falsely all kinds of evil things about you. They had a completely different mindset than we typically have. You know, we are taught in our culture to seek happiness and to seek fulfillment as our chief purpose in life. And we're taught to worry or fret when things go against us. I assume everybody watches TV or, or some TV and have seen uh, dramas on TV. Every episode in this genre of TV episodes that are called dramas, it's always the movement is a sense of anxiety is created and it builds to the, the, the crescendo and then um, usually the anxiety is... Um, is, is lessened a bit unless it's a season finale and then you have to wait several months before the suspense is relieved. And we're taught um, that this is the way we're supposed to um, respond to difficult circumstances. We're supposed to fret. We're supposed to, to lash out. We're supposed to seek to escape those circumstances. But the mindset of the church, of the early church, is the exact opposite they wade into the hardship, into the suffering, into the persecution. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, when they persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. We also read in our responsive reading, 1 Peter chapter 4, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you were insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This was the mindset of the early Christians. And there are countless Christians living in the world today that have that, that same mindset. There are, according to uh, uh, the, is it the Samaritan's Purse, the, um, the group that stands up for the persecuted church, they, uh, the name of the organization just slipped my mind. What is it? Anybody help me? What is it? I, I can't hear Yeah, Voice of the Martyrs, exactly. Um, they say that there are 200 million people living in the world today in at least 60 different countries that are denied their fundamental human rights solely because of their Christian faith. And not one of them lives in America. Between 2008 and 2009... Their best estimate 
is that 176,000 Christians lost their lives because of their faith. And it's a guesstimate at best because many of those who lost their lives died anonymously, unknown, forgotten. Their deaths went unrecorded except, of course, in heaven where God took note of the blood of every one of His saints that was spilled. I can tell you, I don't mind dying for my faith, but I would like to make a splash if I'm going to die. You know, I wouldn't mind having the gospel proclaimed because I've died for the faith. But I would struggle to simply be um, a nameless, faceless guest statistic and just have died for my faith and not had any recognition for the gospel to happen at all. That's where I would struggle. Um, But there are these Christians that the world will never know never know their name, will never hear about them. And they died very violently. Why? Simply because they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They have that mindset of the early church. And for us to begin to be relentless in our evangelism, we must have the mindset that suffering is the norm in the Christian life. That it is a privilege to suffer for Christ. What is your mindset in regard to suffering? Let's move on to verses 29 through 32. They were asked. I don't think they were given... Uh, the option of not going uh, back before the Sanhedrin, before the council. But they were, uh, I believe, arrested even though they were not uh, called in in chains. Um, and they came back before the, the, the council. They went willingly. The Sanhedrin, this council here that we read about in our passage, um, there were 71 members of the Sanhedrin, and they arranged themselves. Their seating was in a semicircle. And so the apostles were here in the middle of this semicircle. And these uh, 71 Sanhedrin uh, asked them to give, their, give an account for why they disobeyed their clear and explicit orders. I've got to tell you, you intimidate me to stand up and preach in front of you. And yet I know I love that you love me. But these apostles were standing in front of these men who held their lives in their hands. And I know that it must have been a temptation to back down, to not speak as boldly as they should have. But they didn't give in to that temptation. In fact, the same Peter, who was afraid of the servant girl, who denied Jesus three times, he is the main spokesman 
What is he going to answer? Verse 29. Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. That was his answer. We are going to obey God rather than men. And you did indeed kill Jesus by hanging him on the tree. You are guilty of murdering the Messiah. What is so difficult about preaching the gospel? I think when you get right down to it, there's two things that, uh, that are difficult when it comes to proclaiming Christ. One is that this feeling that the person is just being annoyed and thinks you're an idiot or a fool for preaching Christ. I think the other, is, the other difficulty in preaching Christ is in preaching Christ, in preaching the gospel as it is intended to be preached, preaching the gospel as Peter preached the gospel. Uh, you have to be honest about the human condition, about who we are as human beings in Adam. In Adam's fall, we sinned all. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. In other words, when you tell someone who they are in Adam, when you tell someone who they are as a sinner, you are saying that you are dead in your sins. You are saying that you are an idolater in your heart. And that you are, by nature, at root, at bottom, you are simply fit to be an object of wrath. People don't like to hear that. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. At your best, your righteousness is like filthy rags. I'm not going to go into literally what this passage means about the filthy rags. I'm just going to, I'm going to make it a little more palatable. I'm going to avoid what it literally says and give it a little nicer sense. This, this um, filthy rags could be likened to a full diaper pail that hasn't been emptied in a week. And so you take your, your chest of good works. God, here I am with all the good things I have done. Here I come, let me into heaven. And you open up your chest. I have four children. I know what a dirty diaper pail smells like. And God says, and that is your righteousness? That is your goodness? That is what you have brought here to recommend yourself to me? We are sinners. And to, proclaim, to be relentless in evangelism, we have to proclaim the whole gospel. And we have to proclaim it truthfully. 
Peter doesn't shrink back. He says, you murdered the Messiah by hanging him on the tree. Where do we get the confidence to do this? Where can we have confidence to proclaim the whole gospel and proclaim it truthfully? Verses 33 through 40. The confidence for relentless evangelism uh, comes from the fact that God's purposes will always prevail. Verse 33, after Peter says um, that they had murdered Jesus... It says, when the the council heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But there was a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. And he stood up and gave orders to put the men outside. And so the apostles were put outside and he told the story of other rebellions and what had happened. And then he gave his counsel. He said, don't harm these men. And if it's of God, you can't destroy it. And if it's not of God, it'll falter of its own uh, of its own lack of momentum. Gamaliel's um, Gamaliel's have, uh, uh, argument here is full of faulty reason. The reason, however, that he prevailed in his argument is because God was not ready for them to be killed. Now on a side note, all of the apostles except for John were indeed martyred, but it was much later on. God is sovereign. He was sovereign even over Gamaliel. He was working out his sovereign purposes uh, at the very moment that they were plotting the uh, apostles' death. But God was not ready for them to be killed, and so he, he drew a, a straight line with a crooked stick. He uh, moved Gamaliel to speak, and his reason, however faulty, uh, won the day. Jesus told the apostles that there would be days like this. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils. They will flog you in their synagogues. On my account you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to, to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say. And he goes on and he talks for the rest of, of um, the chapter about this. And then at the end, and this is also the context where he says, don't fear men, don't fear people who can kill your body, but fear him who can cast your soul into hell. So he says, you're going to face these hard times. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to see you through it. Don't fear death. Don't fear men. Fear God. And so verse 28 or verse 29, he encourages them. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. In other words, what God is teaching them in Matthew chapter 10, and that they are facing in Acts chapter 5, is that God has placed them here. He will see His purposes through their faithfulness. And 
there is nothing that men can do to them. There are not. Um, there, there's nothing that men can do to harm them. They may kill them, but ultimately they cannot harm them. God is in control. Not only when the apostles are drugged before the Sanhedrin, but He is in control of your life as well. He is in control of every circumstance in your life. Your life has already been planned out before it comes to be. Uh, Psalm 139, He knows the words on your tongue uh, or in your mouth before they're even on your tongue. He has planned those things out. Um, you will not live one more moment longer than God has ordained. And every happenstance in your day has already been prearranged by a loving God, and He is working all things together for your good. He is sovereign. That's why Paul could say in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, We rejoice in our sufferings. Why can you say that, Paul? Because my God is sovereign and He is working out His purposes in my life. And even if I am suffering, that is God's will. And so I will rejoice in my sufferings because I know that my God is at work. What does this mean for you? First of all, it means that worry is a sin. Matthew chapter 6. Secondly, it means not rejoicing in your suffering is a sin. I've had people tell me before that I'm an optimist. My God is in control of my life and He loves me. What can man do to me? What can befall me? My God loves me and He is at work in my life. And this attitude is necessary for relentless evangelism. Look at verses uh, 39 through 41. This is uh, remarkable. Uh, Halfway through verse 39. So they took his advice. The, The council took Gamaliel's advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. This beating that they received, this was the infamous 40 lashes minus 1. You got to see a picture of that uh, if you've seen the Passion of the Christ. This was not a, 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 a small flogging. This was a major flogging. They bore, I am sure, the, um, the scars of that beating the entire rest of their life. How did they leave? They left rejoicing. We get upset when we get a hangnail. They left rejoicing that they had the honor of suffering for the name of Jesus. And then what did they do? After they were strictly told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, they went back to ceaselessly proclaiming Christ everywhere they went. So the scope of relentless evangelism is that evangelism can be done anywhere. Can we say that we are relentless in our evangelism if we only rarely practice it? 
They practiced it every day, verse 42, in the temple and from house to house. Is that our call? Is that what we're supposed to do? To give our lives to going door to door and do nothing but evangelism? We live in a different culture. People are not inviting you into your, their home like they did then. Like you can in Uganda, you walk up to someone's home, it is an expectation that they will invite you in and you can talk to them about whatever you would like to talk about. We can't do that today. But the principle is universal for all times and all cultures. We are to be eager to share our faith every day and in any situation. I pray continually, God, give me opportunities to share my faith. When, um, when I get together with others to pray, that's what we pray for. God, give us opportunities to share our faith. But, it need, but we need to have a different mindset. Because if we're going to share our faith and share it effectively, it will mean suffering. It will mean persecution. It may not mean shedding blood, but it will mean some form of suffering. So let me ask you to um, rethink your Christian commitments. Do you suffer for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to suffer for the sake of Christ? And do you consider it all joy when you do suffer for the name of Christ? Do you consider it a privilege to suffer for Christ? There's an irony in these questions I'm asking. Because you hear these and you think that suffering is a negative thing. That's the way I react to suffering. But this passage and the entire message of the Bible says that true joy is to be found in suffering. The world only understands joy to come from worldly things. But real joy, true joy, joy that God gives, comes from knowing and serving Christ even when it leads to suffering, or especially when it leads to suffering. Because suffering means greater service. Greater service means greater joy. So let me ask you, and this is my concluding paragraph. Do you want to be relentless in evangelism? And if we grow in our relentlessness in evangelism, you know what that will mean? It will mean that we will grow in our suffering, which will also mean that we will grow in our joy and we will be the happiest people in Brandon, Florida. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I do pray that the name of Christ would ring out from our congregation uh, as we uh, live beside our neighbors, as we interact with our friends, as we work beside our co-workers, as we um, interact and, 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 and love our loved ones. Lord, I pray that Jesus would be lifted up. Even though we are not going house to house, even though we are not spending every day in a Jewish synagogue preaching Christ, that principle of being relentless in evangelism is our calling today. Help us to be faithful.
and give us the joy that comes from serving Christ faithfully. Even if it means that we have the privilege of suffering for His name. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.